We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Arizona, Colorado, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Tennessee, and Virginia. WinBet is now live in all these states, and the excitement of Win Las Vegas has finally landed in online sports betting and casino play. From boosted parlays to live in-game odds on every major sport, WinBet gives you the tools to win. Sign up today for your risk-free $1,000 sports bet. Download the WinBet app now or visit wynnbet.com to start winning. Hello? We're on to Cincinnati. You play to win the game. It was all that Dan Marino's fault. Everyone knows that. When it's too tough for them, it's just right for us. Rockpile Report, AFC East Roundup, hosted by Bill's season ticket holder, Drew Gear, a part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Welcome, everybody, to the week six edition of the AFC East Roundup Podcast. I'm your host, Bill's season ticket holder, Drew Gear. That's my producer, Chris Kruger. And man, <laughs> Chris, did everyone in the AFC East get sadder this week? Probably. I feel like we did, right? Probably. You take a look at the standings right now. The Buffalo Bills are still on top at a, with a 4-2 and two record. Um, despite losing to the Titans, the Bills maintained their two-game lead in the division. And when you look at the points against and points for, it's kind of telling that they gave up, just in terms of how much farther ahead they are than everybody else, they gave up more than 30 points to the Tennessee Titans. And the next closest team to them is still 30 points higher in points against. <laughs> like that, that's pretty awful. Yeah. New England, the de facto two seed in the AFC East, they fell on a tight one to the Cowboys in a game that was fun to watch, and yet it was a game where I found myself wishing that somehow both teams could lose. Like, is that, it's not possible. I mean, maybe a tie would have been the best case scenario. Yeah, those are hard to predict. Yeah. They remain the second-best team in the AFCs for the time being, however. The New York Jets, they couldn't lose because they were on the bye. And they're going to get back in the field and see if they can fix their offense this week. I mean, they are the lowest-scoring team in the NFL. And at this point, the Bills have scored more than 300% the number of points that the, that the New York Jets have. I keep saying this, and it's crazy. 
Chris, did we ever think things could get worse on offense after Adam Gase? No, unless you pick the next Adam Gase Whoa. as your head coach. Or at least your offensive coordinator. Yep. I mean, we saw what Rick Dennison did to Sean McDermott, and that was yikes. Yeah, it's, it's, it'll be – I mean, I don't follow the Jets enough, but it's like, is there OC – just telling his players, like, this is how you do my offense instead of let me shape my offer- offense around what my offensive talent is good at. Well, if you think about it, their offensive coordinator has never been an offensive coordinator before. He was the run game coordinator for the San Francisco 49ers. And mind you, their rushing attack was great. So he's like Freddie Kitchens? Kind of. This is kind of what they Freddie Kitchens themselves. And I, I know we talked about it in length in a different podcast a week or two ago. I mean, beers. I don't know. I don't know when we talked about it, but I know that we said it, that there's there's something to forcing a first-time head coach who's a rookie himself into hiring a staff with some experience. Because when you have rookies all across your coaching staff, Chris, he, it may be a situation where he doesn't know yet how to tailor an offense to the talents he has on hand. Which is a real problem if, if you think that your offense is capable of hitting the ground running. Yet for the first time in this podcast's history, the Jets are no longer bringing up the rear of the division. And that brings us to the 1-5 Miami Dolphins. And I mean, this was... I don't even know how to qualify this. This was shocking. Shocking. It's the only way I can describe it. And here to talk to us about it tonight... Mr. Alf Artiago from Three Yards Per Carry. Elf, how are you feeling today? Oh, I'm great. I know you are. That's the best. The team, the team may 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 feel another way. Uh, Brian Flores may feel yet another way, but I feel great. I'm fine. <laughs> Although I do have my my antacids right here. You can hear them right here. <laughs> so the Dolphins lose 23-20 to the Jaguars, giving them their first win in over a calendar year. Something I've been trolling. A field goal the- kicker who had never kicked a 50-yard field goal before, but he kicked two back-to-back 54-yarders to be this. <laughs> it's... It, 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 for the Bills fans out there listening to this, there is no shortage of shade and fraud. If you want to just dig into this football game, you can find it. It it literally is coming. It, it's a treasure trove. In losing, the sky seems like it's kind of falling amongst the Dolphins fan base, amongst the media. Um, it's it it things are re- it's starting to rain fire and brimstone as far as everybody else is concerned, and I like the fact that you're still pretty pragmatic about it all. I gotta say this first and foremost: that game. If you go back to last week's last week's podcast, we talked about how six minutes of bad play is kind of what just let this whole thing get away from him. And when I look back at this game, I can't help but think like, hey, that. I see a pattern developing here because there were shades of week five all over this because they were seemingly in control to start the game. A great touchdown drive with just two incomplete passes. Nothing but like what? Uh, you held Jacksonville to punts and one field goal attempt to the first 20 minutes of play. You have a 13 to three lead. What the hell happened? Everything. 
<laughs> Everything that could go wrong seems to go wrong for this team, and it's just not. It's just one of those years. Everything they do, nothing they do works. So. Everything they tried to do in the offseason, it just didn't matter because just everybody got hurt. And then they planned to build a, a defense around two cornerbacks. Both of them are unhealthy, and they don't play in this game. And it seems like, you know, Jag- the Jaguars had a plan for attacking those guys. Although I thought, you know, for having a guy who's who never plays, and they just tell him, hey, guess what? Now you're playing, and you're playing every single snap, and you're going to guard Marvin Jones all game. You know, I thought Noah Benogany played fine because, you know, come on. Yeah, you can't expect a guy to never play. And all of a sudden you're telling him, guess what? You're playing every single snap now. And not only are you playing every single snap, but you have everybody one-on-one when, when you do. I thought he played fine. He was there on a couple of plays. Could have made a, a play on the ball maybe. Other than that, you know, it was an, an expected outcome. But, uh, you know, Tuatungabalo returns. He returns. He plays well, really well, really. Um, he was the best player on the field, in, in all honesty. Offensive line still wasn't very good. We don't have a running game, and we don't care to see it seems like to, to have a running game or even try to have a running game. Yet the biggest play of the game on our side of the 50 with the game on the line we decide, yes, we're going for it on fourth and one, and we're putting it in the hands of our third string running back. <laughs> this is that's that's what's happened this year, and you know, okay, uh, so, the so, season basically ends in a thud, and now the the rest of the year is about evaluation and possibly firing this coach as soon as the season is over. See, and this is where, and this is why I like talking to you about this. So. The decision. For, let's start here. The decision to go for it on fourth and one on your own side of the fifty. The coaches of the Miami Dolphins have taken a beating over that on social media this week. When you look at the structure of the play, you're trying to get one yard, and at the same time, you you decide that you're going to try to go for it out of the shotgun. Like, you're actually going to back up five yards to try to get the one yard that you want to accomplish with your third string running back. Like, what... If you can inject some logic into this, what... In your opinion, what what, what was the thought on that play? How did the coaching staff try to defend it after the game? Like, what, what happened there? Earlier in the game, it was fourth and one, and they, they did exactly the same thing, and they got it. And this is now the second time this season it happened in the Raider game when they ran the little shovel pass to Gasecki on a on a fourth and two, I believe, and they got it. Then they decided to okay, let's run it again in overtime. They didn't get it. They tried the same exact play once more in this game, and it seemed like the Jaguars had it well scouted. Josh Allen crashed down on on Durham Smythe's block. And that has essentially blew up the entire play. And it's a read option. So you could see that Tua is looking to his left, and they have contain on that side. If Tua keeps it, he runs right into three guys standing there waiting for him. So he had to give it off. He gives it off to Malcolm Brown, and he's stuffed because Durham Smythe misses a block. Oddly enough, the guy that they talk about that can't block on this team is Mike Kosecki, and he absolutely drills his block on this play. So yeah, it's just one of those things. It's you know it never ends and it's you know it's it's just a parade of 
Every for, and and I'm not lying. Everything that could have gone wrong this season has gone. You expect kind of like half of the things to go wrong. No, everything, every single bit of it went wrong this year. So now the question becomes, to your point, it's about evaluation, and it's where do we go from here? And one of the, I mean, you look at it, one in five, your playoff hopes are less than 9%, according to playoffstatus.com. The team lacks any identity, and yet we're more than a quarter of the way through the NFL season. And you have just one warm-up game prior to your matchup with Buffalo. I just, I don't know. I, <laughs> I mean, I guess I just, what what's the upshot here? And to your point, you, you kind of let off with this. You're talking about potentially firing the coach. Do you genuinely believe that this is a set of circumstances that Brian Flores might actually lose his job over the way the team has underperformed because I saw your tweet on Twitter at, at elf underscore Artiaga. You tweeted out that this team has painfully underachieved and there's one person who bears the blame for that. Mm-hmm. If he gets all the credit for because look, I, and, and we talked about this, I believe I believe I was on the podcast that year. I'm not sure. But I'm pretty certain I told you guys about it. In 2019, that team was as devoid of talent as any NFL football team I've ever seen in my life. It was not really an NFL team. It just wasn't. He somehow finds a way to finish the season 5-4 and four with that team. The following year, last year, they had some talent. They go 10-6. and six. This year, they've lost three games as favorites. That alone would keep them afloat, right? But... They lose, they lose three games as preseason favorites and two as outright favorites on the Sunday. That's painfully underachieving. The only thing they've done is reversed a one-point deficit in New England because they were a one-point underdog against New England, which kind of makes them a favorite, right? And all they did was win by, by a point. They don't cover against the Bills. They get absolutely murdered by Tampa Bay in a flurry of, of screw-ups in the fourth quarter which can only point to, to, to coaching. The Colts game was an, a complete no-show until like the last five minutes of the game. So who do you blame for all of this? You can't blame the, the, the talent. There's good players on this team. You know, like if you're going to do a purge, what are you going to do? You're going to replace good players with good players? You're <laughs> not going to get go- – you're not going to – usually it doesn't work in this league when you say, you know what, we have good players. You know what we need? We need Hall of Famers at every single position. So that good <laughs> defensive end that we have, let's go get – one who's all world. You know what I mean? It doesn't work that way in this league. If you have good players, you usually just stare at them and say, okay, that's a good player. All right, let's move on. Let's go get more that look just like that guy. Yep. No, and that's how the Bills were built. I mean, it was just, hey, let's stack a player on a player on a player. And they they went out and found safeties. And then they said, okay, we're we're set at safety. And we found a cornerback in the draft who at the back end of the first round has outperformed his draft position. Great. We don't need a CB2. Screw it. We'll get a, a damn good slot receiver and we'll gr- uh, slot cornerback and we'll groom him. And when he looks like he's settled, all right, how about these linebackers? Are they good? All right, we're not spending any more capital there. They are what they are. We'll roll with them and hope they grow into something. Well, they've both grown into Pro Bowl caliber linebackers. It. I feel like the problem with the Dolphins is a lack of patience. And that extends from, I mean, you see it now. 
in the headlines. Mm-hmm. Stephen Ross, you know, all these stories that he's tied. He's he's the impetus of this whole trade for Deshaun Watson idea that exists out there in the ether. There exi- it seems like it starts at the top and there's an impatience and it trickles down and it permeates every level of the franchise to the point where you have impatience from the fan base. You have impatience from the coaching staff. You have impatience from the GM. And then you've got the owner who's saying, listen, we just drafted this guy fifth overall, but that's it's not coming together quickly enough for me. Let's go get the guy who was a multiple-time Pro Bowler and blah, blah, blah. blah. Oh, never mind the fact that he might never play football again. <laughs> never mind that. No, no, no. Let's do that. How do you correct it? Because I guess my fear is firing Brian Flores, if this is a systemic problem, is firing Brian Flores, firing Chris Greer even, is that really going to fix what, what went wrong here in the for the 2021 Miami Dolphins, and will it stop it from happening again? Well, they made a bunch of decisions, one after the other, that you can only really attribute to Brian Flores. And every single one of those decisions has blown up in his face and has gone the other way. It's gone 180 degrees the other way. Now, has Chris Greer made some mistakes? Absolutely. His mistakes are right there. You can just see it every single Sunday. It's those five guys in front of Tua Tungvaluwa. There's mistake after mistake there. You know, what do they have to show for all of these picks that they've used on the offensive line? They have Liam Eikenberg, who's a, a decent rookie, getting better, looking okay. And they have a right guard in Robert Hunt that I guess we all like, and he makes he's, he's a good player. But what else? Nothing else, really. They have nothing else to show for all the picks that they've used to try to build that offensive line. And then you have other decisions that they've made. that They went and they decided, you know, we're going to spend a lot of money on these two cornerbacks. Then one is not, in, one is not healthy for a few games last year, and that, it ends up costing them a couple of games. Then when he comes back, the other one's unhappy with his contract, holds out most of camp, and then uh, both of them are not there for a game which was essentially for their season. Neither one was healthy for the game. Maybe that's also on Brian Flores because that's another thing that we get down here is that we get a lot of like leaks from the player's side saying, hey, don't say I'm, I'm injury prone or, or you know, always injured or always out. You know, I've been wanting to play. They don't let me play. So you hear things like that all the time from the likes of Xavier Howard and Devontae Parker. And then you start to wonder, okay, who's in charge here? Who's making all of these decisions? And do we just have to get rid of them to maybe have somebody else make these decisions, make better decisions? Because it just hasn't gone right. Everything they do, everything they it's, – it's King Midas in reverse that is what Brian Flores is. You know, everything he, turn, everything he touches turns to crap. Nope. And it's and, – well, you know who I used to say that about was Adam Gase. I used to say that Adam Gase was the reverse King Midas, and now, and I guess this, to, to a deeper degree, if we're going to talk about the future for the Miami Dolphins, you guys don't, your first round pick is going to go to the Eagles this year. So it's not even like, and this is a bad quarterback draft, so it's not even like there was another, but, but, but this is one of those situations, and I talked, I tweeted you about this. And it's one of those things where when I DM'd you, I knew that you would appreciate this. 
you're talking about a team where everyone says, we need a quarterback, we need this, we need that, we need to change all these things. This comes from our friend Travis Wingfield. To his first game back, he comes back, everyone says, okay, he's got bad ribs, he could be gun-shy. Tua comes out, and he's throwing the ball downfield. What is it? Adjust, I'm looking at the tweet right now. Adjusted completion percentage, 79.5%. Both of his touchdown passes come with pressure in his face, and when they blitzed him, he was 8 for 8 with 151 yards. The, they put up 431 yards of offense. <laughs> like, I don't know how you as a fan could look at that, or you as a as anybody. Chris. I don't. I'm not qualified to be a coach or a GM. I don't think I'm. I don't think you're not qualified to do a lot of things. I don't think I'm qualified to coach Pee Wee football. And yet, when I when I see those numbers, I say, okay, that looks like a quarterback who understands what's going on around him. And yet, there's all of this talk now about, well, we need to trade for a quarterback. We need to change things up. We need to change the offense. We need to fire the coaches. We need to change, change, change. You have the bones in front of you. You're just going to make it work. You have to put the puzzle together. Now, maybe Flores isn't the guy to do that, but it shocks me that so many fans are outraged over this idea that maybe this Dolphins team just needs somebody else to try to rearrange the pieces. Do you think that there's a retooling? Instead of a, instead of a total teardown and rebuild, maybe all this roster needs is just some tweaking. I mean, Do you think that that's possible? Well, that's exactly what they're going to have to do. If there's going to be a purge, there's going to be a purge around the edges on support players. But as far as like the nucleus or the core of the team, it's already here. There's nothing to rebuild. There's nothing to tear down. Uh, you can't you can't get rid of rookie contracts. Like they have a lot of good young players under contract for the next several years. So they built this. You know, you have players like Zach Sealer and Christian Wilkins and Raekwon Davis. Those are really good players on the defensive line that you're actually pretty happy about. Jalen Phillips is coming on every single week, and Emmanuel Ogba is going to be really expensive in the offseason. And then on on the offensive side of the ball, they got to re-sign Mike Kosecki. Now, these are all simple decisions that they have to make. Everything that has short-circuited this team has been on the offensive side of the ball uh, with uh, that four-headed monster we have at offensive coordinator. <laughs> the offensive line, which does need an absolute overhaul from from nuts to bolts from the top to bottom if you keep two guys it's too many okay that needs a complete rebuild the defensive philosophy also needs a change because it seems helter skelter uh, that game that game against the, the jaguars they play a lot of soft coverages and then all of a sudden when they're nervous in the fourth quarter they start, they start sending blitz after blitz after blitz after trevor lawrence and they sack them. They, they force a, a, a sack fumble. They recover the ball. They're chasing them all over the lot. And even when, we, when they did screw up on fourth and one, what did they give up? They gave up seven yards, and they give it up on the last play of the game <laughs> to, to set up a 54-yard field goal. So even the defense started playing a little bit better, more to their, their character. It's almost all coaching. And as far as like talent, it's all on the edges. And I really think that the, the quarterback has coming on is coming on and getting better every single week. And you know, I'm interested in seeing what he does for the rest of the year because he's starting to look like the, at least he looked like he's looked like that way so far this year. He's looked like he looks like a leader. He looks like a guy who's accurate, who's aggressive, who's gonna be pretty good in this league. They just have to have the patience to see it through. 
See, and that's it. So you guys go into next week against the Falcons, who aren't a good football team. You are a one and a half point favorite, which is, <laughs> I mean, do you agree or disagree with the spread? Uh, they were five and a half point favorites in preseason. So yep. that kind of tells you all you need to know how how far they have fallen. So, you know, but you know, it's hard to say. Like, yeah, I expect them to win. You know, the only thing that gives me any kind of confidence is that their quarterback, uh, Tua Tungabaloa. That's it. That's the only thing that gives me any kind of confidence. You could tell he's competent. He's a good quarterback, at least for now. And, you know, maybe that's enough to beat the Falcons at home. But other than that, the season has been a disaster. It's been a throwaway season. It's just, like I said, evaluation going forward. They have a lot of good core players. That's the problem for Brian Flores. At the end of the year, he's going to be asked, you know, uh, so what went wrong? He can't point to the talent. He asked for all this talent. He used all these resources to get him here. And in the end, his specialty is defense. And the defense, for lack of a better word, is bad. So, God. you know, uh, we shall see. It's it's a drama unfolding. If they lose, who knows? Who knows what happens after that game? Because Stephen oh, Roth oh. doesn't look any happier every week. Uh, Chris, could you imagine they've already, like, the next time we play the Dolphins, they've already fired their head coach? It It would just... You'd hate to see it. <laughs> You'd hate to see it, Alf. So you guys are going to launch into a whole series of just – it's now it's talent evaluation. It's figuring out your roster. It's kind of one of the things that I dig about what you guys do because and I'm sure inevitably as the string plays out, you guys are going to turn your eyes more to the draft, which is something I think you guys do a great job of. Where can everybody find that content? It's at the number three yards per carry. You can get our podcast anywhere. You get your podcast, Spotify, iTunes, wherever. You want to follow me? It's Alf underscore Artiaga. And so next up, Chris, we just got done talking about the Miami Dolphins in the basement of the division for the first time in this podcast history. So this is a celebration. We <laughs> we are here with Scott Mason from yeah. Play Like a Jet, Jet to celebrate no longer being in last place, baby. How does it feel? <laughs> well, the funny thing about this is, Drew, I-, I posted this on Twitter. I know you guys saw it. I think I even tagged you because we have a mutual interest in being petty in-, in this regard. I just, to me, it's funny because the Dolphins were supposed to be good. They were supposed to challenge the Bills. They were supposed to take all these draft picks and, and turn into like a winning organization. Flores was this good coach. The players were buying in. Everything was going to go well. Tua is going to be awesome and all this. And everyone knew that the Jets were probably a four or five win team and that all people really wanted this year was for Wilson to play well and for the offense to be entertaining. And, you know, TBD on that because it's only been five games. But it's just so funny to me because – the Dolphins had all these expectations. The Jets had none. And yet, as you said, who's got a half-game lead? <laughs> yeah, it, it's, it's, it's the most ridiculous thing, and you're talking about the offense. Here's the craziest part about this. First of all, the Jets' offense, I mean, we talked about it in the opening of the show. The Jets' offense is in the basement of the NFL. <laughs> you have 67 yeah. points to your credit through going on. I think this is going to be your, your fifth game. And it 
literally when you look at the numbers next next to you, the Dolphins aren't much better. The Dolphins have only scored 99 points. Now, part of that's getting yeah. shut out by Buffalo and having your starting quarterback knocked out for multiple games. But then you look at the points against. The Dolphins were supposed to be the defense, right? The Patriots, yep. they spent yep. a lot of money on free agents, but it was going to be one of those things where, hey, we, we spent a lot of money and we did a lot of things. We built because we thought that this is the year we're going to take that next step. And instead, they're actually leading the AFC East in points against at 177, whereas the Jets are 56 points behind them. Mind you, with one fewer game played, but I don't see a 50-burger getting hung on you guys anytime soon, which I think speaks volumes to where that franchise is. Now, for you as a Jets fan, coming out of the bye week, looking at the mess, I mean, we just got done talking to Elf about the disaster that their franchise is right now. How do you feel about the job your coach has done in comparison to what's happening in Miami? It's interesting because Robert Salas spoke to the press yesterday, and one of the things he said was, and and this kind of goes along with what you guys just said as far as the Jets being in the basement as far as offense, he said, we've had the opportunity to review what we've been doing well on offense and what we haven't been doing well on offense. And I joked with Chris Nimbley on the podcast this week, well, that discussion about what they've been doing well on offense must have lasted for about two seconds because I can't imagine what they could have possibly talked about. They haven't been doing much of anything well on offense. Uh, the, the, The thing with the coaching staff right now is I kind of feel the way that you guys probably did early on in McDermott's tenure, which is not to say that Sal is going to turn out to be McDermott, but you still have hope and you still really liked everything that led to the hire and you've seen some good things, but at the same time, it's just, it's, it's demoralizing to watch a team get beaten up so bad most weeks and not score. And then again, with the Denzel Mims thing and all of that, that's where, again, it's only been five games, so it, it, it's rough to judge the guy. But at the same time, you're like, ah, I was kind of hoping that there'd be a little more competitiveness here. So I don't really know what to say other than I'm still hopeful with Sala. I haven't soured on him or anything. But it, it's just tough to watch a team be so non-competitive on the offensive side of the ball, particularly and be over the moon about anything. I think that defensively, most Jets fans, with the exception of the the last game before the bye against Atlanta, tend to think that Jeff Ulbrich and Salah have done a pretty good job there. But overall, it's just a lot of question marks that still need to be answered. And and to be fair, you know, certain guys got off to really hot, hot starts, like Brandon Staley, who... I, that was my favorite candidate in the offseason. I think he's going to be a great coach. But it's a different situation in L.A. than it is with the Jets, right? So it's hard to really gauge anything one way or the other. I'm just hoping for improvements the last 12 regular season games. I guess that's the easiest way to put it. Well, so And, and that leads me to my next question. So one of the big stumbling blocks for you guys so far this year has been this concept of 
the just team health has been a problem ever since the offseason. When Carl Lawson went down and just a whole slew of injuries. Coming out of the bye, how healthy are the Jets right now? So the major one that's a problem is obviously Mekhi Becton. You mentioned Lawson, but you don't even count him anymore because he's obviously out for the year. Salah said that Becton should be back in a couple of weeks. The good news is that George Fant and Morgan Moses have done a pretty respectable job at left tackle and right tackle, respectively, since Becton went down. Marcus May, it looks like he may come back this Sunday against the Patriots, which is good news to him and his agent because his agent said he wanted May to be back just in time for the trade deadline. So maybe May comes back, plays a game or two, showcases himself, and is able to get himself out of town, which appears to be what he really wants. Um, Beyond that, I'm trying to think of where the major injuries are. Well, Jared Davis is another one they say may be back this week. So that's a big positive for the Jets. Uh, And with May coming back and Davis coming back, if not this week, then probably next week, uh, you've got a couple of, of other injuries to guys that aren't as key. For example, I know that uh, their Jets are still missing Braden Man, the punter, whatever. They're still missing uh, Hamza Nasraldeen, who is their rookie sixth-round pick who played a lot of linebacker. It was a converted safety. Beyond that, those you know, it's really just Becton is the major one. There isn't anything that jumps out at me that, that's a big problem injury-wise at the moment. So it's just a matter of waiting for the big man to come back. So it's, it's one of these things where you're getting healthier. You're hoping you're going to get to start to see some more things from the offense. You're hoping Denzel Mims starts to get more of a fair shake in terms of his involvement here, because he's obviously a talented player. When you look at the opportunity over the next few weeks, you've got three offenses, the Patriots, the Bengals and the Colts that can score if you give them the opportunity they will and they're very different teams you have a it's kind of a mixed bag and you're going to get to see kind of it's like science experiments you know the patriots are going to be a very physical downhill running team a lot of short area passes they're not going to try to air it out deep they're not going to be testing your safeties often whereas the Bengals are a completely different monster jamar chase has changed the, the dynamic of their offense with joe burrow to the point where he's i mean they're Everyone loves Mac Jones, but Jamar Chase might be on pace to be Offensive Rookie of the Year. And then the Colts, who, they're a physical football team. They're not as refined as what the Patriots are, but again, they have this bruising running back, and the offense kind of flows through him. It's it's like a, a, a junior, it's like a junior whopper version of the Titans. (laughs) So with that in mind... How prepped do you think the Jets are to keep pace with these differing, differing philosophies right now as they're constructed, the way their health is, the way you're coaching? Well, it's interesting because when the Jets played the Patriots the first time, really they just completely self-destructed. I mean, truthfully, that would have been a winnable game if the Jets didn't keep turning the ball over. It's not like the Patriots did anything all that great. Mac Jones was fine but he wasn't anything special that day. And I will say, as somebody who really liked Mac Jones coming out of Alabama, uh, I'm torn on the fact that he's playing pretty well because 
the smart ass part of me wants to say told you so to all the people that said he's really nothing he's a product of Alabama and all that and but the other part of me is like oh man now he's going to probably turn into a pretty good quarterback and the Jets have to deal with him for the next however many years I think that the Patriots have been pretty conservative offensively so far I know that most of Boston media and a lot of the Patriot fans have complained a lot about that. I'm curious to see if they start to try and take the training wheels off of Jones this week against the Jets at home against a team that's one and four might be a good time to do it because I know that he obviously played very well for the most part. Obviously we know that play with Diggs against the Cowboys. So if they want to start to kind of, take the training wheels off, as I said, this would be a good time to do it. If it's a conservative offense, like it was the last time, then a lot of it will just kind of come down to if the Jets can do their job on defense and if Zach Wilson can start to play better. And a big part of Zach Wilson playing better is for him to stop having problems with the easy throws. And, And this is something that he never really had an issue with at BYU He's talked about it in press conferences over the last week or so. He feels like he's just trying too hard, I guess, getting in his own head, aiming the ball instead of just letting it rip. If he can start easy screens and setting up short third downs and even not even putting the Jets in that many third downs. I saw a stat the other day. And I'm going to push this partly because it's an amazing stat and partly because I love any opportunity to pump Todd Monken's stock. But I saw that the University of Georgia this year has only gotten into third-down situations 32% of the time. And what that means is that Georgia, on first or second down, 68% of the time has moved the sticks without even having to get to third down. And the beauty of that is, it means you're not you're making life easy on your quarterback and you're not putting him in a situation to make his life difficult. If Wilson can start connecting on those easier passes, I think you can start seeing more of that and the offense will start to click a little bit. And obviously Denzel Mims will be a big part of that if they actually give him a fair shake, as you mentioned. So I think with the Patriots, there's a lot of that. With the Bengals... That one's a little on the tougher side because, as you said, that Bengals offense has clicked pretty well. Jamar Chase, that was another one where a lot of draft experts and people that analyzed the league said, Cincinnati's stupid. How could you pass up Penny Sewell for a wide receiver? But ultimately, we're seeing why the Bengals made that decision. Jamar Chase is a very talented wide receiver, but you guys know, and, and I think – it started to develop a little bit with Allen and, and Stefan Diggs. There really is such a premium for having a quarterback with the kind of connection to a star receiver, the way that Burrow and Chase, it's like they read each other's minds. And I think that's a big part of why that Cincinnati offense has clicked so far. So I, I expect the Jets to have a lot of trouble with that game, even though they'll be at home. The Patriots, obviously, on the road at Foxborough will be tough, but this is where I'm I'm curious to see how mentally tough Zach Wilson is because the last time these two teams played, Zach was all out of sorts through four interceptions, and the Jets never had a chance. They couldn't get out of their own way. This time they're at Foxborough. 
He's had a look at the Patriots. He's had over a week to prepare. Let's see what he's made of. Your quarterback, Josh Allen, we've talked about this many times, a big part of what has turned him from a guy a lot of people didn't believe in to one of the best quarterbacks in the league is his ability to bounce back from bad games and adversity and so on and so forth. So I think this game against the Patriots will tell us a lot with Wilson. I don't expect the Jets to win those games coming up, but I think it will tell us a lot about where this offense is headed the rest of the season and particularly what Zach Wilson is made of. Because if he can go out there against the Patriots and play well, even if the team loses, if they can be competitive in Foxborough and Wilson looks like he's finally starting to put the pieces in place, then I think everybody, myself included, fans, analysts, people around the team, will be able to breathe a big sigh of relief, at least for now. So you guys are seven, uh, next week's spread, you guys are seven-point underdogs right now based on most of the gambling websites I subscribe to. Do you agree or disagree with that spread based on what you've seen from the Jets? Yeah, I think you have to. I mean, listen, the Patriots, they did struggle to beat the Texans, and I know that they're only 2-4, and four, but look, they went toe-to-toe with the Buccaneers. They went toe-to-toe this past week with uh, the Dallas Cowboys. Those are two of the best teams in the league. They're at home in Foxborough. Mac Jones has played well. You've you got the obvious coaching advantage with Belichick and McDaniels. Like I told you guys, I like Salah, but let's get real here. He's been a head coach for five games going up against the best coach in the history of the NFL. So I think seven points on the road is certainly understandable. If it was at home, I might say that's a little much, but seven on the road seems reasonable. And look, ultimately, if the Jets don't want to be seven-point underdogs, then they've got to put in a good showing here against the, the Patriots. Because if they do, then I think that they'll, you know, the, the spread will change a little bit uh, for the game against Cincinnati, where even though they're going to be at home, I expect them to be underdogs, but it might be a little closer to a pick if the Jets can do well against the Patriots this week. I, I, I'm just I'm going to put some money on this game and I'm not going to tell you which way I'm going to go mostly just because I don't want to hurt your feelings but <laughs> I mean you and I both know Drew this. I got news for you I'm made of ice We're, I'm a 35 year Jets fan there's nothing you can do to hurt my feelings well, that's what we joke about all the time right the you me and Chris between the three of us we're all just dead inside Yep, exactly. Where can everybody find what you have coming up as you guys go down this kind of a gauntlet section of your schedule? Where can everybody find your work and what do you have coming up over at Play Like a Jet? Oh, we got some fun stuff. Yeah, it's the usual. We got seven days a week of Jets content. We just did our first mega mailbag of the season. Normally, we do a lot of mailbags in the offseason, but during the season, I like to save those for short weeks or bye weeks. So we did a four-part mailbag with the very big deal, Chris Nimbley. Uh, we talk mostly football, but every now and again, people sneak in a food or an uh, entertainment question. So people asked what we, what we thought about the many saints of Newark, the new Sopranos prequel. So we talked for a couple minutes about that. But it's mostly answering questions about football and the Jets, so those are, are there for you. The usual lineup, Brian Bassett, the podfather, as we call him, of Jets podcast. 
He's got his show up. There's always next year. Tim Jenkins, the quarterback whisper of Colorado. We're going to do a progress report for Zach Wilson through the first five games. We've also got uh, uh, the pregame report that'll be coming up. That's on Sunday. That that gives you a lot of good betting tips. Walter Cherpinski from WalterFootball.com, who's actually excellent when it comes to betting advice. He's finished in the top three in some major gambling tournaments as far as you know picks throughout the year and all that. He he ch- chips in with his picks, and then we do. Chris Nimbley comes on. We do the last minute news, some over unders, all that stuff. Luke Grant comes on. We talk a little film, keys to the game. And we'll also have your friend Mike Diabate on this week to break yes. down the Patriots and the Patriots side of things. He was on the last time. Really good dude. He's such a nice guy that I just don't have it in me to say anything bad about the Patriots when we're doing the show. I usually grit my teeth and then yell about the Patriots after we record See, out of that's, respect because he's such a nice guy. That's what separates but us from we, you. We're going to have him. That's what separates us from you. Yeah, you got. Yeah, well, I guess, I guess. I'm. Uh, you know what? Uh, I've we've we've made some like jokes in in good fun, and that's why you know honestly, somebody said something uh, on Twitter I saw about Alf and whatever going on the show, and and I, uh, this is what I always say with you guys: I wouldn't come on the show every week if I didn't really enjoy talking to you guys, and if I didn't know that we were we were kindred spirits despite rooting for different football teams. I'm fine with taking jokes and all that because I know it's all in good fun. And obviously, Mike, same thing. So that's why we all go on each other's shows and stuff. So he's on this week. We've got new YouTube videos up on our YouTube channel. Subscribe if you haven't already. Luke Grant's doing some good work. He has a great video up of Elijah Vera Tucker, the Jets' first-round pick, the guard out of USC, him pushing around Grady Jarrett, which was incredible for a guy in only his fifth game in the NFL got a video up breaking down Zach Wilson's performance at Atlanta and explaining why, even though it wasn't great, it might not have been as bad as you think. Uh, we've also obviously got playlikeajet.com where we've got some stuff up there. You can follow me on Twitter at playlikeajet1. And you can subscribe to the podcast at uh, you know Spotify, YouTube, Google Play, Stitcher, all that. And guys, one last final thought. I know everybody's been arguing about it in Bill's land, but as a Jets fan, I just want to chime in. I know I've said this on Twitter. I think Sean McDermott absolutely made the right call going for it on fourth. They needed about a half a yard. You got a six foot five, two hundred and fifty pound quarterback who's the best player on your team. If you can't trust him to pick up a half a yard there, then at that point, I really don't know. He's going to get that ninety to ninety-five percent. This just happened to be one of those rare times that he didn't. And especially since the Bills just couldn't stop the Titans all day, I absolutely applaud McDermott. He made the right decision. It didn't go the Bills' way. But you you want ultimately a coach that has a set of balls to make those decisions and those tough calls rather than somebody like Mike McCarthy, who instead of going for it on fourth and one on the whatever it was to try and go down and ice the game. First, I know Bills fans don't want to hear that from a Jets fan, but that's my take on it. Are you finally ready to win money and boost your odds? WinBet is now live in Arizona, Colorado, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Tennessee, and Virginia. The excitement of Win Las Vegas has finally landed in online sports betting and casino play. Get exclusive rewards right at your fingertips. Get in on the action with your favorite teams and players from the NFL, MLB, 
MLB, NHL, golf, MMA, WNBA, college football, and more. Right now at WinBet, you can find great promos, odds, and payouts from boosted parlays to live in-game odds on every major sport. WinBet gives you the tools to win. Sign up today for your risk-free $1,000 sports bet. Download the WinBet app now or visit wynnbet.com to start winning. Offer subject to change, terms and conditions at winbet.com must be 21 or older and present in the state where playthrough winbet is available. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, call 1-800-522-4700. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. And so that brings us to the Patriots, who lost just a nail-biter, 35-28 to the Cowboys. And here to talk to us is longtime fan of the Rock Power Report podcast, just someone who's given us the time of day when we probably don't deserve it, Mr. Mark Schofield. How are you? I'm doing well. I've been a fan since day one. I, I love this show. I love you guys. I'm so excited to see the guys, the two of you, blowing up here. I mean, you've got a professional studio. You're going to get it soundproofed. I mean, come on. That, that's like a professional show. <laughs> just let me say this. When you guys go global, just don't forget me, okay? When I'm like begging to come on with you guys, like, please, can you spare some dopamine for your old friend Mark? Like, don't forget me, okay? Schofield, you're one of my favorite people that we've met throughout this process of just podcasting and getting to know people. And we're here to talk about the Patriots, which this game was – I think I said it at the top of the show. It's one of those games where I wished everybody involved could have lost. But the way it it. played out, I mean, because I'm I'm a Bills fan. I'm watching the Cowboys play the Patriots. These are two franchises that have tortured me for most of my life. Right. When I watch this game, my my first takeaway from it is Mac Jones. ah, This kid has something. Because you don't get to go to overtime with a team like that, a five and a, a, a now five and one Cowboys, but you took them to the wire with a rookie quarterback. I is something that teams with tenured quarterbacks couldn't manufacture. How legitimate do you think the Patriots are this season? I mean, because it's starting to build some momentum. I mean, yeah, yeah, you know, guys, they're building a little momentum. I mean, I, I still think that. You know, at two and four, with some difficult games coming up, because look, you get the Chargers in a couple of weeks here. That's going to be a tough game, and you know, you've got some other games. Sure, you get the Jets this week, but it, at two and four, 
And I know, look, the Bills are coming off a loss, but that's still a very good team. And, you know, I, I don't look at that loss and, and how that ended for the Bills and think, oh, you know, suddenly there's an open window. There's an open door. There's a shot here for New England. Like, I, I still think that, yeah, maybe they sneak into a wild card at best. But you've got some tough games coming up. You've got Chargers. You've got Browns. You've got Titans. Like, like these are some tough games that they're going to have some struggles with. But I think what impressed me about, particularly with respect to Mac Jones, he throws the pick six, right? And at that moment, you're thinking, man, you know, you, you just gave up this game. You had a chance to put this game away. Now you've given them the lead. What does he do? He goes right back at Diggs. Right back at Diggs in that moment and says, I'm not going to let this bother me. I'm not going to shy away from this guy. I'm not going to shy away from this moment. I'm going right at this dude. You know, FM, I'm going right at him. I loved that about him. You know, because you need to have that sort of short-term mentality if you're a cornerback in this league or a quarterback in this league, right? You get beat for a big play on a touchdown. If you're a DB, you come right back. You forget it. If you throw a pick as a, as a QB, you come right back and you come out slinging. And to go right after Diggs in that moment I thought was huge. You know, the Cowboys are a great football team right now. That's a great offense right now. Dak Prescott is playing some of the best football of his entire career. It's good to see for him coming off the injury. That's a team with weapons. And so, yeah, for New England to, to sort of take it to overtime, you know, good. It, it was a nice performance. But like I said on my show this week, there are no moral victories in the NFL. I take it to the Cowboys to overtime. Like, okay, it, it's improvement. Mac Jones is getting better each week. That's good. But you're 2-4. and four. That's a game you could have won. The Buccaneers is a game you could have won. We've seen Bill Belichick suddenly become, or maybe not so suddenly, if you ask the, you know, Aaron Schatz and Football Outsiders, it said basically since 2012, he's been a bit more conservative. You punt in overtime. You kneel on it at the end of the first half. Like, you know, there's been some conservative decisions from the head coach on down that have cost them, I think. But are they getting better? I think so. Might they be in the mix at the end for a wild card? Maybe. Um, but I do think that this is a situation where even with the Bills losing, I'm, I'm not looking at them right now thinking that, guys, they're going to get back in the thick of things in the division. Well, you have no idea because when I close the show, it's literally going to be on this topic. But one of the things I'm surprised by is how efficient – your offense was and what a nice rebound it was for a lot of players especially some of them coming off some struggles i mean harris harris had a dog of a game not that long ago he comes back with a 100 yard effort he looks explosive he's running downhill hard you see kendrick Bourne. i think this was the first play where you really saw kendrick Bourne explode the way that they anticipated he would when they signed him in free agency you saw, am I correct or incorrect that John Smith had a touchdown? It was Hunter Henry. Hunter Henry, okay. So you're getting the tight ends more involved after spending all that money. I mean, I was I was throwing dirt on him last week for the just kind of, hey, here's your tight end stat lines. Here's what you're paying for. Now you're starting to see them kind of matriculate into the offense more. This offense is starting to round into something, and it's keeping them in football games. I mean, what what is Josh McDaniels doing in particular with those tight ends that you see that you think might be helping some of this rebuilding for the offense? I mean, specifically when it comes to Hunter Henry over the past two weeks, you had the he had a touchdown against the Texans where we're in a corner out from a Y ISO alignment, got a matchup, got a good matchup for him. You're seeing them work up with the seams. We know for years, dating back to Tom Brady, they love throwing a tight end 
even slot receivers up the seams, right? You get that single high coverage, cover one, cover three. That's a soft spot that you want to attack with the tight end because you can get favorable matchups, you know, the tight end against the linebacker. That was the touchdown. It was a vertical concept, but seam route to the tight end to Hunter Henry, who did a good job at sort of creating some space in the elbow a little bit, but didn't get flagged and goes for a touchdown. And then the play-action passing game. You know, you saw more of it. You know, we know the Patriots like to use play action. You saw it particularly against Houston, some of it against Dallas. You get that play action, run action look, but you get the tight end of the crossing route. Bring those linebackers downhill on run action. You throw behind them on the crosser. You saw that a number of times against Houston, a couple times against Dallas. And that's how you're seeing Josh Regano's get these tight ends involved. The, the next step is, you know, making sure when you get guys like Aguilar, when you get guys like Gorn, when you get guys like Myers in space, they can have big play opportunities and then deliver in those big play moments. Aguilar had a chance to potentially, I don't want to say put that game away. Drop. If he catches that drop, there's Evan Lazar, he put the screenshot of it. There's no one. Like, you guys are in New York. You were the closest defenders to to (laughs) Nelson Aguilar. Is that anybody on the field? Because there's nothing in front of him. He catches that. I don't know if he goes the distance, but you're into Dallas territory. And, you know, the game could look a lot different. So you need to hit on those moments. You know, it's, an, it's not an explosive offense yet, you're, but there's the potential for that, whether it's two weeks, two months, a year down the road, there's the potential there to put that, those pieces together. On the defensive side of the ball, I, I, I mean, we know about Belichick's record against rookies, and it's and Sean McDermott's actually building one of his own, kind of in that way. Look, listen, if you're a good defensive right. coach, you do well against under under experienced quarterbacks. But when right. you look at what they've done against non rookies, you guys are getting cooked. Twenty seven point three points per game, zero point three interceptions per game, four hundred yards allowed per game. And you have yet to hold a single one of those teams to under 120 yards rushing. What what do you think is going on with this? Because they spent a lot of money. You got a lot of pieces back. Everyone expected the Patriots defense to kind of, hey, listen, we're going to run the ball. We're going to play defense. That's going to carry the day. We'll protect this young quarterback. Well, now your young quarterback is coming out swinging because he has to. What's going on with the Patriots defense here? The guys are just getting so doing so well against Bill Belichick's complicated schemes guys Davis Mills threw three touchdown passes against this defense two weeks ago that's it if you would have told me back in the spring and summer that Davis Mills would throw three touchdown passes against the Patriots in what a second third start obviously there's absolutely no way I think a couple of things are happening you know in the secondary in particular they're moving guys around. They're trying guys in different roles. You know, against the Jets a couple of weeks ago, you saw, okay, Jason Jackson get a shot at Corey Davis. Jalen Mills got some run against Corey Davis. They use, you know, Jonathan Jones at times on Corey Davis. They're trying to figure out their best group of players on the back end right now. And you're seeing them give up some big plays. I mean, look at the third and 25 against Dallas. You know, you, Dallas, to their credit, they had a great design. You go four by one. They're trying to chip the running back, Ezekiel. So you take Dante Hightower, who's going to be one of your four pass rushers. Elliott's running around to the flat and then up. You basically take him out of the play. 
So then you're really only rushing three, but yet you're dropping seven because Hightower tries to rush late. You get the dagger concept, and now you've got C.D. Lamb against Jalen Mills, which as somebody that does an Eagles show and you know has a lot of friends that are Eagles fans, you ask Eagles fans, hey, would you feel comfortable about that matchup? They tell you absolutely no way, and that's what you get. You get C.D. Lamb running away from Jalen Mills. You get C.D. Lamb running away from Jalen Mills on the game-winning touchdown when they go zero blitz. They're trying to figure it out. They're not quite there yet on the back end, and they're not getting enough pressure on the front end. Like, Judon has been fantastic. Um, Josh Uche has had them ups and downs. Um, Hightower, they, they obviously brought Jamie Collins back. He had a big sack in one of his three snaps against Houston. But they're still figuring it out on defense. And like you said, Drew, this was supposed to be a year where the defense, the run game, they're going to carry you as you – wait for Mac Jones to sort of figure things out. Well, defense has been iffy. Run games had its ups and downs, and so they're having to put more on Mac Jones' plate. I think he can handle it. I'm one of the people that's saying, look, let the kid cook. Like, don't punt on fourth down and four in overtime. Like, trust your kid to make a throw. We all know that, look, you punt to Dak Prescott just needing a field goal. Odds are against this defense right now, he's going to put it together. So trust the kid to make the play. Next week against the spread. We do this every week on this show. You guys are negative. You guys are a seven-point favorite. Minus seven. Do you think that that's too low <laughs> against the Jets? I mean, at first blush, it's like I think seven's a good number because, A, it's a divisional game. B, they've already played each other. C, they're coming off a bye. So I could see a scenario where the Jets like manage to keep it to a one-score game. Um, I, I think on paper, you know, you, you strip that stuff away. New England's the more talented team, right? Like, like you, you, you've seen Mac Jones take steps. You've seen the offense start to put it together. It's a home game, obviously, for New England. And last time out, Zach Wilson played not well. You know, four picks. Like, and two of those, the third and the fourth ones, were just – Look, man, I can understand the first one. I can understand the second one. I could have thrown the third and the fourth one. Like that's what I looked like when I was playing. But you're, you're the second overall pick, man. You got to be a little bit better than that. You know, if you're if you're the bar you're trying to clear as an NFL looking quarterback is me, you're not in a good spot. So Zach Jones played poorly. So yeah, you could see this being a, a ten, a thirteen and a half type of spread. Um, but I do think because of the reality of it, the bye week seven's probably a good number. New England probably covers it, but I could see the Jets somehow managing to keep this one close. I, I don't buy I it for the, a second. I get the, the Drew side there. I don't I don't buy it for a second. I'm going to put my money on the Patriots. I'm going to put my money on the Patriots Clip covering that, this one. Chris, Crip that. Clip that right there. I'm going to put my money on the Patriots. That's a drop to save. That's a keeper. That'll come back to haunt me. Sir, yeah. we always love that you make time for us. Where can people find you on Twitter? And what do you have coming up with your written work over at Touchdown Wire? And what's going on with you in podcasts? Well, what, do you, what do you have going on in podcast land? So I've got currently, all right, I do my show, The Snow Show with Pat's Pulpit. I do the QB Factory Reboot um, with Rachelle Prevett over at Bleeding Green. Yep. She's Rachelle Prevett is awesome. She's tremendous. I do... The RSP Quick Game with Matt Waldman each week, every Tuesday. Doug Farrar and I do the Touchdown Wire Matchup Podcast every Thursday. That's the pod stuff. If you like the Cowboys and Dak Prescott, I don't know why you're listening to the show, but hey, maybe there's that random Bills Cowboys fan out there. 
I do a video breakdown of Dak each week for blogging the boys at SB Nation. And as far as Touchdown Wire, my next piece is on Carson Wentz. I have to write about Carson Wentz, guys. That's my Wednesday. Alfar Tiaga, Scott Mason, and Mark Schofield. They do great work for the teams that they cover. That's why they are the super elite of the AFC East. We're the elite. What did you just say? The, the super click, the elite, AEW. I hate you. You're going new school? Yeah. You're going, you literally went new school wrestling on me. Yeah. Do you know how much it pains me that the wrestling is still around? I feel like after the WWF Attitude Era, they should have just shut the whole production down. Like, there's, a, it doesn't need to exist anymore, yeah, right? The, the TV ratings aren't coming back to what they were in the late '90s, but well, they did, how could they? I mean, they literally blew up Vince McMahon, quote unquote, blew up Vince McMahon in a limousine. I'm sorry, you want 13 year old me to pay attention to something? You set a human being on fire. You throw a guy from what two and a half stories off the top of the hell in the cell, and you blow up the the WWF's owner in a car, like a car bombing. That's like a terroristic act, and yet they very casually portrayed it on TV, like. The Attitude Era was it. It's yeah. as the kids say these days, lit. Yeah, but then you can, you just get to say, well, it's, it's wrestling. We know it's we know it's a, it's a storyline. But they, have, you know, you have AEW, which is uh, you know another rival. That's what WWE needs a rival. For the last twenty years, they cornered the market. It was just them and no one else. So nice to have uh, rivalries. Well, and it's funny you say that because that brings us to the Buffalo Bills portion. Now, obviously. <laughs> Go back, go back, check out our Tennessee recap and our deep dive earlier this week on analytics and metrics standpoints as far as where the 2021 Buffalo Bills measure up against the other playoff caliber Buffalo Bills. I, I, we had some really interesting podcast topics this week, but rivalries. I mean, obviously it's early, but isn't it weird that there's only one team that feels like it's a legitimate threat? After an offseason where everybody, all the talk from the mainstream media, and not just the talk, but amongst fans and the energy that you felt from other fans and even you and I sitting here on this podcast talking about the other teams in our division, it felt like they had taken steps to close the gap on us, right? Yeah, I don't know how much of a gap there is still between us and other teams in the conference. You know, there's... Well, I mean, unless you're Miami. We already know how big that gap is. It's huge. It's it's a thirty burger, is what that is. <laughs> but it's one of these things where I, I mean, the Bills have played the fewest divisional games of any team in the AFC East at this point, and it's kind of awkward, you know. I mean, we smashed the Dolphins and essentially derailed their entire season by knocking two out of the game and out for multiple weeks, where Jacoby Brissett just clearly was not. It's not the guy. Not it for their offense. And, well, the Jets look to be still finding themselves as a football team. You've got the Patriots out there, right? They're just lurking, just two games back. And they're starting to show flashes of a team that could actually be dangerous. I mean, I have to ask, is it too soon to write off the Patriots as being once again a legitimate threat to the Buffalo Bills division title hopes? Look, look at, they're look not at, a threat to me. Well, look at everything they have going for them. And I know, I mean, I'm... It's just something that's starting to percolate in the back of my head. They have this emerging rushing attack. I mean, Damian Harris, not for nothing, he's got multiple 100-yard games. We don't have a running back on our roster with one. In fact, you go back to the Tennessee game, our, our running backs are in trouble. 
the rash of injuries that probably could have derailed a lot of what they were trying to do gave them an ability to tinker with the offensive line and kind of find some mix and match some things, find some players who work for them. It might come in handy down the stretch as this season plays out. And Matt Jones is acclimating faster than any other rookie quarterback. I mean, he's in a very friendly scheme because they have a very smart offensive coordinator in Josh McDaniels, but I I don't know. They're also the best coach team in the division besides Buffalo. That's fair, right? Yeah, for ranking coaches, McDermott won Belichick, too. And they do have talent considering the amount of money that they paid for a lot of these names and free agency in the offseason. Yeah, look at the season Johnny Smith's having. <laughs> I know, he's he's tanking fantasy teams around the country right now. But but the talent looks like it's starting to gel. I mean, you joke about Johnny Smith, but he got involved in this last week's game. I think he had a touchdown catch, didn't he? I have no idea. I was at work. So, I just... Hunter Henry's starting to come along. You're starting to see, you know, Kendrick Bourne flash. You're starting to see Jacoby Myers start to establish himself as wide receiver one in that group. I don't know. I mean, you've got... Look look at this. We saw what 12 personnel does to Buffalo this week against Tennessee. And that was with tight ends who aren't even threats to catch and run the way Hunter Henry and John Smith are. Their schedule for the Patriots does stiffen a little bit here. I mean, they're going to play the Chargers, the Panthers, the Browns, and Tennessee over the next five weeks. And any faltering over the course of that span might make that a little bit moot. You know, this whole point might be moot three weeks from now. But like a bad penny, I'm getting this feeling that these Patriots might, they're they're just going to keep finding their way back to us. And they might not go so quietly into the night. And if that becomes the case... Not only might we have, maybe we're overlooking New England, but that December 6th Monday Night Football game here in Buffalo might have massive implications for the division title. I, I, I just, I'm looking at this, and I'm, I watched that game against the Cowboys, and I'm saying to myself, that's a team that on, a, on any given Sunday might be difficult, especially with the way we would match up against a team built the way that they are, which was done intentionally by Bill Belichick. So it's just, for as much as I want to laugh and I want to be able to, Chris, I thought this was going to be one of the most, when the season started and the Patriots lost week one, and then we saw what happened with the Jets, and we watched what happened after we knocked out Tua in Miami, I feel like, I thought this was going to be the most relaxing year of the AFC East podcast, and yet, I don't know. I just have this bad feeling that New England's going to hang around a lot longer than anybody gives them credit for. So this very much still is a race, and depending on what happens with them, I mean, they're going to play the Jets. If they win this weekend, they're a game back. Our margin for error isn't huge, or maybe might not be as big as a lot of Bills fans think. Hopefully our players remember that. <sighs> Although they, they have a week off to not have to think about it. Now, I'm going to hate watch them this weekend. You're not, because... I'll be at work. What do you do during bye weeks? Like, what do you watch? I watch any game that's on. Like, if I was off of work and had a Sunday to myself, then I would just watch whatever's on local TV. Lo- locally, this past week... We got what were supposed to be the two best games 
on Sunday with Arizona and Cleveland and Baltimore and Los Angeles. Although they were fucking blown out. <laughs> I, I find it funny. Like, people know us, right? They, over the years, they've gotten to know us through listening to this podcast. They know that we watch all of these games together. We watch a lot of football together. How often do you and I hang out during bye weeks? Never. Almost never. I, I see you for football on Sundays when I can, this, and then no other time. Occasionally we do, which is hilarious because your girlfriend lives like two miles around the corner from me. Yeah, my girlfriend lives closer to you than I do to you, and you're only like four or five miles away. We've done dinner once. Yes. This is, we are like the Ron Swanson of friends. Like, you stood up at my wedding. I consider you one of my best friends. And at the same time, we don't hang out much outside of sporting events. No. It's almost the best friendship ever. Yeah, but... <laughs> yeah, but like, what... What else? Like, I don't understand male relationships for friendship, <laughs> like friendships outside of sports. Like, I don't know. Like, what do two friends do not sports related? That's a good question. Guys, like, at Rockpile Report on Twitter, tweet at us with your synopsis of what do men do together that doesn't involve sports when you're friends. I mean, sports, I'm also going to consider golf. I'm going to consider rec league sports. I'm going to consider fishing. All those things fit under this umbrella. What do two dudes do when they're friends and they hang out that doesn't involve sports? Let us hear it. But for this week, we got to get the hell out of here. Enjoy the off week. We're going to hate watch the AFCs together. But we got to get out of here. I'm Drew Gear. That's Chris Krueger. And this has been your AFCs Roundup. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.